Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. feel like I'm supposed to start with a bit of a story uh, of when we planted our church because we have a special, special love for church planting and for um, doing exactly what you're doing. And we've sat in that seat before and, and um, it's, it's a good work. And one of the things we really felt up front is that we wanted Jesus to be our senior pastor. And you're like, it's easy to say that. How do you actually do it? And so... We began with uh, leadership team meetings or interest meetings where we would spend time just listening to Jesus and we would inquire of him because um, in the Old Testament, it says the wise kings were the ones who inquired of God and the foolish kings were those who didn't. Inquire means ask him questions. And so we would ask God very practical questions in order to practice the pastorship of our or pastorship, okay, that Jesus would actually be our shepherd in reality. And um, so I remember the first, the first uh, time we ever met as a leadership team, uh, we asked Jesus, like, why, why do you need another church in Abbotsford? We, we have too many churches in the town we're from, and we wanted God to justify this. What would be the point, you know? And, um, and then we became silent, and we just listened for about 10 minutes, and after 10 minutes, um, uh, Sue West, who was on the team, she said, I feel like we're supposed to start a home group in a, in, a, in a home, a care home for people with disabilities. And she happened to work in one of these. And then her husband, Brian, who was our team leader at the time, he said, but you can't build a church around people with disabilities. They don't tithe. Uh, to which God replied, ahem. <laughs> and so, um, so Sue actually did this. She started a little care ho- home, or well, it was a care group, and we would worship with the people who were in these wheelchairs, or they had autism, or they had Down syndrome, and they would pick the songs, and they would pick the scriptures, and then we would just sing with them and pray with them. And then our friend Chad said, well, I work in one of these homes too. Why don't we start that? And so... Uh, he started a second care group in another one of these homes run by a different company. And in each of these homes, there were four people um, who were living there, and then others from other care homes would come. And and, uh, Brian was right, they didn't tithe. But that didn't seem to matter. God had other ways of... Of, of providing for us while we started working with these folks. And so that's, that's where we started. And about that time, we had this prophetic guy come uh, to town, and he wanted to meet with Brian and I because he said, I, I think I have a message for you from the Lord, and I'm going to open it up. Pocket Bible. Um, it began in Isaiah 58, 6 to 12, which was a really precious, precious uh, scripture for Eden and I because uh, we felt like the Lord had really called us to do a ministry of justice while we were down in Haiti one day, one time. And, and in, in Haiti, uh, Justice, our son, was still in the womb. We didn't have a name for him yet. How, how old was he in the womb in, in Haiti? 
five months pregnant, yeah. And we went through a series of crazy events in Haiti that ultimately led us to, to name our second son Justice and to root our lives in Isaiah 58, 6 to 12. So this guy, this prophet comes and he says, uh, I believe you're meant to lay a foundation of justice and on that the Lord will build four pillars. And when the four pillars are built, there's, uh, uh, his glory is going to rest on the pillars. And we're like, well, what's that all about? And so, first of all, I'll share with you the foundation, this foundation of compassion that we believe Jesus called us to engage with. And it sounds like, I bring it up because it sounds like you're that kind of church a little bit to me. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. <clears throat> if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up age-old foundations. You'll be called a repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And, uh, and we're like, whoa, sign us up. Like, those are some good promises there. And all you have to do is... Uh, Break the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, pour yourself out for the hungry. And, and uh, so, well, okay, that's a bit of a, a stretch. But what we saw, we saw was that as people with disabilities were getting, were getting loving care, not only in terms of scripture and song and so on, but, but the people in our church who are working with them, having to change adult diapers day after day, it's like just not a sexy job at all. And yet they were called to that kind of service. And before long, we, we found out that, that, was, that the folks with disabilities were our first pillar of our church. And then a little while later, the Lord revealed that um, children were our second pillar of the church. And then a little while later, the Lord revealed that prodigals coming home were the third pillar, especially addicts. And, uh, and then the fourth pillar was the poor, sometimes the working poor, sometimes the homeless. And uh, when those four pillars came into place, the Lord made it really clear to us, these are not your target groups. These are your pillars. I'm like, well, who's our target group? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we thought if there were only one church in town and God could, or if, if God could only go to one church in town, how would we get him to ours? And he said, invite my friends and I'll come every time. We never, ever needed to beg God to come to our church because he would always come with the disabled, the children, the prodigals, and the poor. Always, always. It wasn't even a question. So that was wonderful. And, um, and so we start working with them and interacting with them, but this idea that they're, they're not our target group became powerful because we're like, what do you mean they're our pillars? 
And what the Lord showed us was that they're your pillars when you understand that they are your mentors in the kingdom of God about what's important. So for example, uh, the people with disabilities, they showed us that the most important thing is, can I love you and will you love me? And do you know that no one with Down syndrome in the history of humankind has ever split a church? Because they know what's important. Will you love me and can I love you? Do you know that no autistic person has ever pulled an end around politically in a church and ousted the pastor? It's just never happened because autistic people don't care about that. They care about what's important. Will you love me and can I love you? Do you know like nobody in with um, muscular dystrophy or cerebral palsy or any of these kind of things that confine them to wheelchairs, they're, they're just not going to ruin your church. They just won't ever wreck it. And like, I can wreck a church. They just can't do it because they don't care about things that wreck churches. They care about, will you love me and can I love you? So we sat at their feet for 20 years learning what's important. And then the children, they taught us um, that, you know, you don't even get into the kingdom of God unless you become like little children. And um, so often in churches, what that, that, what that meant is turn your children into little adults who can mimic adults worshiping or something. It's like, no, it's not that. Watch the children and watch what they're doing. And so we became very attentive to what kids were doing in church. Because sometimes when I was going off in the front, they were doing their own thing that was a prophetic act. And, and then we had, our people were so great at this our intercessors around the church, they would just start waving at me while I'm preaching. I'm like, what, what? And then they're pointing at the kids. Look what the kids are doing, you know? And they're acting out something. And um, as they're marching around the church with flags or something like that, you never knew what they were up to. But, but we would listen to them in their, that whole childlike trust in God. And quite often they would be ones serving at the communion table or praying for other people. And they would come to, we had a prayer tent going on during church. Well, sometimes our prayer tent would be like, it would have a lineup of people through the whole worship time and sermon, one after another, people going in. And often we had children in there praying too and um, giving wonderful prophetic words uh, even before they were school age. And then um, the prodigal started showing up because they realized uh, if you have all these disabled people making funny noises and you've got like children running around, then, then an addict comes in and says, oh, no one's going to judge me here. And what they taught us is that there's fresh mercy every morning. And we would have uh, folks that were coming off the streets um, who, who just, uh, whether uh, addicts and homeless or... or um, some of them were prostitutes, some of them were, you know, crackheads and whatever, but they would show up and, and, uh, and be part of what we were doing and, and like start dancing in church and worshiping in church as if they were clean because they were. And they, taught, they taught us, like, what are you doing wallowing in your shame and self-loathing? Look at me. There's fresh mercy every day. And then the poor, of course, uh, the Bible says that he, he gave us... Uh, the poor to teach us to be rich in faith. And so that included both learning how not to um, uh, enable them to walk with us in dysfunctional ways, but actually just to become their friends. And it was a great moment for me one day. I was at the coffee shop with my friends, and, and I looked around the table, and it was like 
to people with disabilities and their care workers and, and an alcoholic who'd just been freshly out of jail and a couple of kids. And I went, oh, these are my friends. I didn't think of them as my target group, right? I wasn't colonizing them anymore. And so um, I'd recommend that if you, if you can think about the people you're going to reach out to that you're, you know, not to be their saviors, but to be their friends and to let them mentor you in what's important in the kingdom. And I think you'll get it just fine. So this became super important for us, Isaiah 58, but it was also the way in which Jesus was pastoring the church. And, um, and I, I just feel like that's super important these days because there's, there's always a temptation uh, to take our eyes off Jesus. And just like, I, I'd hope you, you, you never do that. And I was thinking about this passage. It's odd, I've never preached on it before. And it's like kind of intrusive for me even to bring it up. But I'll, I'll just share a concern I'm having about North America. And to like beware of importing spirituality and Christianity and, and beware of what you're importing from there. Like you definitely need indigenous New Zealand vineyard Christianity. Um, but I'll bring this up because it's probably more of a global phenomenon. So from 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is wrestling with some, some issues. And he said, I hope you'll put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, or if you receive a spirit from the spirit um, you, you received, or, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. I do not think I am in the least inferior to these super apostles. I may indeed be an untrained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made it, uh, this perfectly clear to you in every way. So why on earth would I share this in a vineyard church in New Zealand? Um, well, because what's happening on my side of the ocean, I'm from Vancouver, Canada, and there's sort of this North American phenomena of, of, of just like, Christians taking their eyes off Jesus, and it has to do with the cultural spectrum of left, right, progressive, conservative, and all of that, and that I'm, I'm seeing that that whole spectrum is the world. It's the, the whole spectrum is a domination system that wants to slot you anywhere on the spectrum, and once, and once you get slotted on that spectrum, it's so easy to lose the purity and simplicity of our devotion to Jesus. And uh, with counterfeit Christ and counterfeit spirits and counterfeit gospels. And so I'll just give you a couple examples of that just to, like, to be aware of. Um, um, for about 30 years, I've been, I've been having to... to uh, deal with the Christian, what we call a Christian right. So there it is. It's on the spectrum. It's on the right. It's the it's uh, kind of conservative fundamentalism of some sort. And the version. Now I have friends and loved ones who are who are part of that, and I I just love them so much. I would say my parents are conservative evangelicals in the very best way, the very best stuff from that tradition. 
but where, where a false gospel snuck in is when it's somehow the love of God plus fear. And, and we don't usually call it fear. We usually call it, well, God is love, but he's also holy. But like, that's a threat. God is love, but he's also just. God is love, but he's also righteous. So now we've got this two-faced God because somehow it's a holiness, righteousness, and justice that's not love. And I can tell you that the holiness, justice, and righteousness that is not love is what the Pharisees brought to the table when they crucified Jesus. So it's, it's, um, it, it, it's this weird thing because it smuggles in fear. And it's so prevalent because it used to be useful. Sinners in the hands of an angry God used to be useful because you could use fear uh, to tweak your gospel to control people's behavior with threats of fiery torment and all of that stuff. That uh, somehow God is, he's law, but he's also a punisher. And um, I've moved on from the church we planted. We, I ended up in the Eastern Orthodox Church. There's a, it's a big part of the body of Christ in the world, 350 million of us. And my spiritual father there, Archbishop Lazar Pahala, he, he looks like Gandalf, um, literally. <laughs> He's amazing. And he sent me this uh, today at 7.54 a.m. as a prophetic word for New Zealand. Okay, it's for the whole world but I'm authorized to share it to you tonight. And specifically, it was for me to pass on to who I'm preaching to. So that's you. So it's not just New Zealand. It's like this church tonight. And uh, he said this, and it's, a war- it's the same warning Paul is giving you about a different gospel and that dissuades us from simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. He says, The preaching of the gospel was never meant to be a means of colonizing people's minds with fear. Nevertheless, this has become a primary element of far too many Christian preachers, and it has clearly contributed to the rise of atheism, which often results from the effort to decolonize the mind. The colonialism of fear no longer works except in a neurotic mind. If we do not wish to inoculate young people against faith, we have to stop making it fear-based and restore it to Christ's message of hope, love, and joy. Thus saith the Lord, I think. So I, I, I... I see that on the Christian right, and I'm, I'm just like, it's weird because I thought we moved past that. I really thought we had moved past that, but you just can't because fear is part of our temperaments at some primal level, and it means every, every one of us has to overcome this fear. Well, what overcomes that fear? First John 4, perfect love drives out fear. Because and, and the one who's not yet, the one who fears is not yet perfected in love because fear has to do with punishment, right? And so this in, in probably the maturest theology of the New Testament and the whole Bible, the Gospel of John and First John bring us this message. Perfect love has nothing to do with fear. So how on the earth, how on earth can we build a gospel on fear? How can you include fear-mongering in good news preaching. And if you go through every time the gospel is preached in the book of Acts, not once. 
whether to Jews or Gentiles, in-house or out-house, do you ever find uh, the evangelist resorting to fear as a way of, of, of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? So I'm not worried about that with you guys um, because I just don't perceive that, that that's your scene at all. But I have to mention it because it's been like forefront of our of our um, battles for the last 30 years is, is just like the addiction to a fear-based gospel. Like, don't buy it. You don't need to buy it. And, if, and, and you definitely don't want to import it. And, uh, and sadly, um, it's those who call themselves super apostles now who are exporting it. Um, I'm, when I visit little churches like this and, I, and we listen to God together, what I'm hearing from the voice of the Lord is so clean it's so beautiful, it's so pure. But the guys who have the guts to write apostle on their business card are, are, are barfing out uh, fear-based gospels. And so like, like uh, if, if you want to check in with like real fathers and mothers in the body of Christ, uh, you know, I would commend to you uh, Vic and Fran. That, that's who you go to. Because you know them where you should and they like really love you. And they don't have an agenda. And it's, uh, I really mean that with all my heart. I just, I just feel like the, condom, the condemnation that we're, like, it's just not going to come through their grid. And so a commendation of the Lord for you guys as spiritual mom and dad. Well done. Thank you so much for like that I have someone to point to. Um, so, so you're not going to need something from offshore when you've got that here, right? Now, what might what might apply to you more just to watch out for is that while I've been dealing with the Christian right, I got like blindsided from the Christian left because it left is still on the spectrum. And so um, my, my dear friends, I have so many dear friends that would call themselves progressive Christians. And, um, but what's, what's rising up with them, I found out a way to push their buttons. Uh, I can just post on Facebook something like this. Jesus is my God and I worship him. And they cringe. I'm like, I saw that cringe. What was that about? And it's like they, they believe in the justice message, but they, they, they start watering out the Jesus message. And just like on the right, they, they, they kind of have a Jesus, but there's no justice in it, so how can it be him? But, but so too, you can end up swinging on the pendulum to the other side where you've got a justice message and Jesus is, becomes more and more optional. And instead of being the king and king and a king of kings and lord of lords, he's sort of like one of the avatars of, of, of faith. It's sort of on par with, you know, Buddha and... and um, Krishna and the other gods, and you're like, and, and you're like, whoa, 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 what just happened there? And so um, um, they, it, it's sort of like this. We talk about deconstruction a lot where I live. I don't know if you do that here, but like some of our folks who were so bound up and beat up by fundamentalism have begun to deconstruct from that, but it's kind of harsh language. Like when I think deconstruction, I'm thinking jackhammers and dynamite and built, dropping, you know, like buildings are being demolished. Demolition, right? 
And, um, and so what's happening is you've got lots of folks in North America right now, lots of folks leaving the churches to get, to get away from that kind of toxic fundamentalism. But here's the problem, is, um, is that in their deconstruction, they're moving on from that, but they're moving on from Jesus. So I saw a poll about one month ago now, and it was something like this, that since the year 2000 in America, for example, 60 million people have left church. Well, we don't need that. We'll just follow Jesus. And so now they're what we call them the nuns and duns, non-affiliated and done with church. And, and like, so let's say our oldest son would be like that. He's, he's been done with church for a long time, but he's a follower of Jesus still. And he can get away with it for a while. Maybe he always will. I want to know, is Christianity going to be possible for my grandchildren, though? And what we're finding in, from that poll is this, that of the... So that, the nuns and duns group is now as big as the evangelicals in America. And of that nuns and duns group, only 14% still identify with Jesus. So this done with church but following Jesus thing didn't work for 86% of them. They're done with Jesus too. I'm like, oh, don't you remember him? Did, did you never meet him in your church? Maybe 86% didn't. Or maybe they just, maybe once you unplug from the life of Christ in fellowship with others, you start forgetting that he's real and that he loves you. And, and like, what about his presence and so on? And so um, uh, maybe this has, you know, maybe this, maybe this doesn't apply to you at all. But I just know I, it's probably worth sharing with a church that's, that, that's left fundamentalism and is, or never were fundamentalists maybe, maybe. But, but, but you do have a concern for Christ-based justice. Just make it always Christ-based is this thing. Does that sound, yeah? So, um, and, and so the great news about that is that uh, back to the church we planted, it was so amazing that it was in doing justice that we met Jesus. So this will, justice isn't your enemy here. Justice will be a way to encounter him over and over again. And so, um, you know, remember Matthew 25 at the, par the, the, it's the parable of the sheep and goats. It's the final judgment. And he says, um, Jesus, Jesus says to the sheep, um, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was in the hospital and you came to me and so on, right? And, and what's he saying there? Is that we're, as we're doing the work of touching our city, watch for Jesus there. And that's another reason. Don't treat it as your target group. Treat it as a place for encounter. Watch for Jesus in the poor. Watch for Jesus in the disabled. Watch for Jesus in the addict. You, you are sure to meet him. Um, there's this fantastic book on the Apostles' Creed by Ben Myers, and in it, um, I'll, I'll read a few words by him, and then he's going to quote this guy, Gregory of Nazianzus, who lived in the late fourth century, and it's just so, so apropos to this. Ben starts this way, when we serve the marginalized, the poor, and the oppressed, we are not just following a general principle of compassion. See, that's that's just left-wing political identity politics stuff. Um, but we are, we are giving a fresh dramatic performance of the script of Jesus' life. 
In a sermon on the love of the poor, the fourth century preacher Gregory of Nazianzus appealed to his congregation, quote, while we may, let us visit Christ, let us heal Christ, let us feed Christ, let us clothe Christ, let us welcome Christ, let us honor Christ, since the Lord of all will have mercy and not sacrifice. Let us offer to him through the poor who are today downtrodden. And then Ben says, it is as if each new believer becomes another character in the gospel story. Each one has a part to play. Jesus still lives and his story still continues in the lives of his followers. And so I, I just think, well, this, this is a really great way to keep Jesus central in your missional work to your city, is to understand that you're not the Messiah out there to save them. Uh, you're out there on a treasure hunt looking for Jesus in them. Does that make sense? Well, I should tell you a story about that. Oh, this is good. I'll finish this way. Can't have a jacket on for this story. <clears throat> So I have a friend named Raymond, and he sells cars in a tiny town called Altona, Manitoba. There's 1,500 people in this town. And, um, and he was uh, having his midlife crisis, and he's just like, I just, I need a change. I need some kind of change. This can't be all there is to life, is selling cars to farmers in, in rural Manitoba, Canada. And, um, and, and he just feels like he really needs... Uh, he needs a breakthrough. And he gets it in his, in his head that he's going to go to the Winnipeg Center Vineyard Church in downtown Winnipeg, where it's like right in the heart of the heart of the city. And, um, and he's going to go to this worship service, and he's going to open his heart to Jesus, and Jesus is going to tell him, you know, the kind of change he needs in his life that, that's going to rejuvenate him. So he goes in. It's like a very, very cold night. It's, it's you know, probably... Uh, between minus 20 and minus 30. It's like super cold. <laughs> One of the coldest places in Canada. And, um, and, and he goes to the church. I don't know if you know the worship leader, David Roos, but he had planted this church back in the day. And so they're going to have a worship concert kind of thing. And Raymond has to cross this sidewalk to get into the building. And he's making his way in through like prostitutes who are selling themselves for like five bucks and glue sniffers and... Um, First Nations people who are like the, the down and outers of the city. And, and he has to kind of get through them into the worship time. And so they have a very nice worship time. But really, there's no aha moment. And, and, uh, and, and uh, so he's, he's going to leave. And as he's walking out the door, he, he goes down these steps. And this woman runs by him, like, whoosh. And, and just about knocks him down, right? And then... Um, before he, he knows what's happening, another guy comes running by and stops right in front of him and gets in his face. And it's this old First Nations guy with like a scraggly long beard and, and he's been drooling down his beard with this like brown drool and, and it's formed icicles because it's so cold. And he gets in Raymond's face and he's like, hey, buddy. And he can smell glue. The guy's been sniffing glue. And his eyes are like really red and, and, and glazed over. Hey, buddy, I need some change. And, and Ray is like frozen. And his friends are disappearing. It's like, thanks, guys. And then the guy, 
hurry up, I need some change. And he's like, raised, like looking for change in his pockets. And, and, and the guy's getting more intense and it feels like it could get dangerous. And then the guy's eyes clear up for a second and he says this, Raymond, you know who I am. Hurry up and find some change. And let me tell you, Raymond found some change. The very change he was looking for. In that moment, he went into an open vision. This is a Mennonite, by the way. And he was into an open vision of Matthew 25. The judgment of sheep and goats. And Christ rises and he looks at Raymond and he says, Raymond, I even used your name. Did you recognize me? And he came out of it. And then the guy's just standing there and he gives him some change. And he goes running off down the road. I guess him and his, him and his partner needed to catch a bus or something. And Raymond's never been the same. So Raymond goes home and he's like, oh my goodness, I met Jesus tonight in the poor. Do you think he'll ever look at a poor person again as a poor me person? Or will he look at them as an opportunity? So Raymond thinks, what, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, um, he goes off to do a missions thing to build a home uh, for poor people in Nicaragua, which had been in a civil war. And uh, they... So he gets there to rebuild a home, and the whole village is gone because of the Civil War. And he's like, they don't need me to build a home. They need to build a whole village. So he starts his own missions agency called Build a Village. And he goes back, and he uses his, his uh, you know, place as a car salesman to raise funds for Build a Village. And they go down, and the most incredible thing is happening down there. They, they will have Bible studies between, that include people reconciling people who lost loved ones to the death squads and death squad members in the same Bible study, reconciling. Did Raymond found some change? But he, he found the change when he understood that Justice, doing justice, is about finding Jesus in those on the margins and then serving them. It's not about going and just like becoming your own justice, social justice warrior that's still self-righteous and angry as anybody on the right. Um, and so I think I'll stop with that. Um, maybe we should pray something. Um, so so I'm going to invite you just to... to, to Come to Jesus. Have a come to Jesus moment. And uh, as best you can, open the eyes of your heart to look him in the face. But you might be surprised whose face he uses. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us that we would be able to see your face in the unexpected places. In the disabled, in the children, in the prodigals, in the addicts, in the poor, in the marginalized in our cities that we could feed you and heal you and clothe you and visit you. Uh, Lord, would you lay your wounded hands on our eyes to heal them so that scales would fall away and we'd be able to see you in the least of these. Lord, that you would put um, like um, some, you know, help us not to look to the left or to the right, but to fix our eyes on you. Um, Guard our hearts from any kind of false Jesus of, or false gospel of fear or even outrage, but that our hearts would be full of love. 
and committed to restorative justice in the city and that we could do our part in it. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves to you and, uh, um, for that kind of service. And, um, and I pray a blessing on this congregation that it's given itself to Christ-centered uh, activity in a city that needs to know you and needs to meet you. And I pray that they'd encounter you in all sorts of surprising disguises, even in the coming week. And I just see some of you doing double takes, you know. It's like, oh, was that him? Of course it was. Mm. And um, Lord, uh, that as we find you in, in others and on the margins, that, that, you, that just like condescension in, in a colonial mindset would not even occur to us. And that like Jesus, we'd come to the woman at the well and ask them for a drink of water. Find out what you have to share through them. Pray all these things in your name, with your blessing, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.